Blog Talk Radio. It is midnight on a tropical island. A beautiful young girl's long hair streams against the coral reef. Her beautiful body is caressed by the tide. Suddenly, a decayed hand rises up and blood-drenched jaws move to bite her. The living dead walk again. They are decaying. They are missing from their graves. They live and hunger for your flesh. There is no place you can hide. Zombie, you are what they eat. No one under 17 will be admitted. Zombie. You are in a room filled with your friends. But they are all dead. Suddenly, one by one, they begin to move, to live again. Where the hell are they? Zombie. How can we stop Here, take this. Zombie. They are decaying. They are missing from their graves. Shut up! Zombie. It's shocking. That's why no one under 17 will be admitted. Save me. The shadows move. The wind howls. You run in terror and hide. Bloody hand rises to grab you, and with an axe you split apart what was once human. Zombie. One of the 17 will be admitted. They come out of the darkness to take over your soul, to eat your flesh, and make you one of the living dead. Zombie is about to begin, and you will eat it up. It's got my arm! Zombie, we are. But they eat. No one under 17 of Get out of here. Go. <laughs> How great was that, mate? Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yes. Yes. As, as we were talking. They Don Le Fontaine. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. As we were talking about before we went on the air, the lost art of the radio uh, preview. They, they don't, I was going to say they don't make them like that anymore, but they don't make them at all anymore. <laughs> no, because no one listens to radio anymore. Nowadays we get trailers for the trailers. Right? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Why do we need a trailer for the fucking trailer? I, that, but that's yeah, I mean, no. no, it's it's funny that you say that because, you know, like, I watch a lot of streaming platforms, and a lot of times on Netflix, uh, or Hulu, rather, uh, Hulu, they'll show you a trailer for a movie that's coming out, and then at the end of the trailer, they'll say, log on to our website to see the full trailer, and I'm like, the fuck, didn't I just see the trailer? Like... I mean, that was a yeah. looked, looked a full looked like a full trailer to me. I didn't, <laughs> you know, I that I one need... I consider great because it sets up the movie perfectly, but it doesn't ruin or tell you anything of the movie's plot. Right, right. Yeah. Well, do you have do you have uh, do you have that one on your list for tonight's uh, discussion? 
this list is, this is so small. We're probably if we miss anything, I'll be shocked. <laughs> it's like I said in the preview. This this year wasn't much for quantity, but quality, right. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, we might as well talk about that one first since we uh, led with it. Uh, well, we'll get to that one because I got the list here and it's ABC. The first one is the other one you said was one of your favorite trailers of the 70s. Yeah, yeah, yes. Alien. And yep. I love this, yeah, Alien. I love this trailer because it's so quiet during the first 30 or so seconds. Yeah. It shows a spaceship yeah. and landing, and then boom. <laughs> right. <laughs> And the funny thing is, I i mean, I had probably seen Alien 25 to 50 times in my life before I ever saw that trailer. I mean, you know, you and I talk about this a lot. We're old men now, and, you know, for granted now that when you buy a Blu-ray, that it's got all the special features and all that stuff on it. You and I grew up in the era of VHS, and when you bought a VHS tape, sure, there were trailers on it, but the the trailers didn't – it didn't have the trailer for the movie that you just bought or anything like that. It, most of the time, the trailers didn't even – like nowadays, when you buy a horror movie on Blu-ray, it's by a specific company, you know, and – it and they all they do all horror movies, so all the trailers that might be on there are for other horror movies, and then they'll have all the trailers for the movie that you just bought. But back when we were growing up and you were buying VHS, it would just be random movies from the same company. So they'd have comedies and dramas and just whatever mm-hmm. movie they were trying to promote to get you to buy more VHS tapes. So, you know. I never saw the trailer for Alien until, you know, 20 years after Alien came out, really. You know, like, for all, you know, yeah. once the internet was a big thing, you know. And Alien has one of the best opening credit sequences ever. One of the most ripped off, too, but that's because it's so goddamn good. Right? Right? Yeah. I mean, Alien how many a, seconds did it take for you to notice that there were little lines starting to appear in the background? Yeah. During I, the credits I when they're showing marvel, the name. Yeah, I still marvel at that when I watch it nowadays. It's still, yeah. It um now I now I'm not sure I can't I don't know who designed that opening sequence, but it reminds me a lot of the stuff that, um, oh, uh, oh gosh, here we go again with my water brain. Uh, who did the, who did the, uh, opening credits for Psycho? Uh, who did the animation on that? Yeah, Saul Bass. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of the I think Saul Bass did Alien. I'm not sure, but I think Saul Bass did Alien. Huh. Well, he may have. I mean, it's very similar to his work, at least. Uh, yeah. I mean, it looks a lot like something that he would do. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know he did 
a lot of stuff for uh, Hitchcock, obviously. That's what he's best known for. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he did a lot of posters, and he did a lot of... Um, he did a lot of commercials later in life. Um, and he only directed he one movie, which is kind of shocking. But, yeah, I mean... This is movie. This movie has been copied so much that even if you haven't seen Alien, if you've seen one sci-fi horror film of the '80s and '90s and up, you've probably seen Alien. Yeah, and this has been mentioned time and time again, but I mean. You can draw a com- a comparison between Alien and Jaws. Uh, it's very, you know, there's a lot of suspense because you don't really get to see that much of the alien until later in the movie. That's a comparison that lots of critics have made. But also, I've heard it said, and I'm sure any of our fans who listen on a regular basis know the same has been said that Alien is very similar to a haunted house story, whereas, you know, like, the alien is like a ghost, you know? I mean, yeah, they know, they know there's something evil on the ship, but they don't, they can't identify it, and anyone who sees it automatically, you know, immediately dies, so they, they don't really get a chance to, you know, they don't really get a chance to uh, ever tell anyone, you know, which, you know, I like that trope better than, you know, like modern day, uh, like serial killer movies, you know, like, oh, let's just say, let's just grab one out of a hat. Let's say like uh, a Friday the 13th movie where, you know, uh, we we've talked about Friday the 13th in the past. And we talk about like the Tommy Jarvis uh, segments there, uh, the, the yeah. movies that you know. And uh, when he runs to the police station, he's like, "Jason is still alive. Jason is still alive. I've seen him. I've seen him. He's still alive." And the cops are like, "All right, now simmer down, boy. Nope, Jason ain't alive anymore." You know. And then ultimately, everyone dies because of it. You know. There's there's nothing like that. And by no means am I comparing Alien to the Friday the 13th franchise. That's just cheesy. Friday the 13th is just cheesy slasher fun, whereas Alien really does go to try to, you know, build a build a mood and sustain suspense. But I'm yeah. just saying, in, in comparison, there's no opportunity for anyone in Alien to go running back to the other people on the ship and say, oh, no, there's an alien on the ship. No one really knows what's killing everybody off. The only yeah. uh, inkling, the, the only inkling that any of them have is obviously the chest burster scene, which has been, you know, which is obviously famous, you know. Uh, yeah. But yeah. And the reason all the ripoffs of it never worked is they did something that could only happen once. Right. And I'll yeah. just quote uh, Ian Holm when he walked on the set. No one knew what was going on. All we did was see the crew and the cameras covered in plastic, so we were kind of suspicious. Think about it. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a pretty famous. That's a pretty famous. Uh, it's a pretty famous story that goes around. If anyone who's a ever seen Alien is unaware of that, uh, yeah, they did not know about the the actors were not told about the chest burster scene. So uh, when that little alien pops out of the pops out of the chest, there, uh, it's John Hurt, right? Yeah, John Hurt is the one who's yeah. who, the, who the alien pops out of yeah yeah the cast and crew were well the crew knew but the cast was not told so uh all of the reactions well that you john see hurt knew the, he had to know <laughs> well yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and the funniest uh, part of that because no one knew it's either veronica cartwright and Please, if you haven't noticed this part before, look in the background the next time you watch Alien. All she did was say fuck for five minutes. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but speaking of and that. The other one uh, is where uh, Yafik Kono panicked and he grabbed this little ass plastic tray and they had to hold him <laughs> back from beating the monster. <laughs> right. To me, that, I love that realistic touch because that's what I would probably do in that situation. I would grab the first right. thing I would see. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Right. But yeah, speaking of that, though, um, the cast of Alien is friggin' amazing. I mean, you got Tom Skerritt, you got Sigourney Weaver. You got Veronica Cartwright, you got Harry Dean Stanton, you got John Hurt, you got Yafet Kodo. I mean, that that's an amazing cast right there. And now, um, I'm not I'm not really certain. Like how how many how many films had uh, um. How many films had Ridley Scott directed before Alien? Do you know that off the top of your head? I mean... I want to say about one or two. The one I know he did was The Duelist. Right, right. Yeah. Huh. And... Well, who... Dan O'Bannon wrote the screenplay for... um, for Alien, and... The only movie that Dan O'Bannon, as far as I know, had made before was Dark Star, right? Yeah, I think The Duelist was the only feature film that he had directed before Alien. And I don't like The Duelist. Some people don't, but I like it. The Duelist? Yeah. Or Alien? The Duelist. Oh. I don't know. I'll watch anything that's got a Carradine and Harvey Keitel in it. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is when Alien come out and it was a big hit and if you've watched Alien it's a hard R movie. <laughs> yeah, right. So what's the first thing you think of? Let's make kids toys. 
Yeah, right? Hey, I actually still have my uh, my alien uh, action figure from when the movie first came out. And uh, I don't know. I guess my parents just knew I was a monster kid because I've got a Godzilla, an alien, and a Shogun warrior that are all about 18 inches tall. Uh, and I don't know what my parents were thinking. I guess they were just like, well, whatever. He likes these friggin' monster movies, so let's just let him have them, I, I guess. And yeah, they're well, worthless. I, just send them to me. They're worthless. <laughs> they're not worth a penny. They're not worth a penny, man. Trust me. <laughs> the hardest thing to find is this is one of the most bizarre alien collectible there is, and that's the Viewmaster View Tape. Oh yeah, yeah. I I have a Viewmaster, but I do not have the Alien uh, tape. No, nope. you know the one. No. You know we had them in the kid. What it was? There was these like cartridges you would stick in this thing that looked like a movie camera. But if you stuck yep. your eye to it, you would get to see like maybe uh, forty or fifty seconds of a movie. Right. Yeah. And they did we, one for Alien. Nice. No, I I have one of the old Viewmaster, like you know, the ones that that look like binoculars that you hold up to your eyes and you put the little thing in. It's only got like eight pictures yeah, on it. They had one. They had yeah. those too, but those I think had shown adult. Adult, more adult material before, because I know they did a Viewmaster of Smokey and the Bandit, some right. other big film. Yeah, we had a we but had a sensor though. <laughs> we had a toy at our house that um, I think it was made by Fisher Price, and it had these mm-hmm. uh, cassettes that were kind of like they looked like Atari cartridges, but they were smaller. And this thing was like a little projector, and it worked like an old school, like old, old school video camera. Remember, like, the, when they first yeah, started making movies? Yeah, that's what movie? I was just talking about, where they put, like, that's... Alien on that. And you have, But you had to crank it to make, the, to make it move, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. there were yeah, two. We when one. There was the regular version, which was like the hand crank camera. And yeah. one that's very expensive nowadays that actually worked like a projector. Oh no, we had we had one that you had to crank, but all the all the movies that we had for it were Disney like Disney shorts, you know, like Goofy and Mickey Mouse, Pluto, and you know yeah. Donald Duck. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, you can guess they pulled Alien out of. The, the toys out of the theater pretty goddamn quick. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. And moving on, yeah. this is a weird film to me. Because when I was a kid and seen the Amityville Horror, all I thought about was, oh, God, that scene with the pig's eyes. That scared the shit out of me. I'm so scared. And Stephen King <laughs> was right. Because once I became an adult, that scene where they lost the 
thousand dollars in the house. <laughs> when you got right. an adult mind responsibilities, that seems scary the shit out of you. <laughs> you know. Well, don't you agree? Once you get in adult mode, it's like, oh god, that was oh god, what would I do if I lost a thousand dollars? Yeah. Oh my gosh, man. I mean, I'm so happy that my wife and I are like financially stable now. We do have a little bit of debt, but you know, we're in our late forties, so of course that's to be expected. But even being a financially stable adult with good paying jobs, being two financially stable adults with good paying jobs, if we lost a thousand dollars, it would still hurt. It would hurt a lot. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, we try but to keep it. Yeah, the first one is okay. What's that? The second one I fucking love. You like the second Amityville horror more than the first one? Yeah. It's so know. sleazy you can smell Burt Young's armpits wet all through the movie. <laughs> right? Um, And speaking of please, we got a double feature here. Angel Guts Red Classroom, which is a very violent and nasty pinku film, where if you like that kind of stuff, it's good. And here's a movie that, when it hit VHS, Elvira was too much of a pussy to introduce this movie. That's if funny you can that you find say that. The thriller video, if you find the thriller video of it, the whole back, instead of describing the movie, the whole back is them just basically talking shit about Elvira being too much of a pussy. But I don't blame you when it comes to ghosts. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's funny you say that because I've, I've got a thriller video on in the background here that's uh, an Elvira-hosted thriller video playing on my TV across the room while we're talking. <laughs> uh, yeah. The yeah, movie I'm um, talking about is Blue Omega or Beyond the Darkness or as, what was the thriller video title, Buried Alive? Yeah, Buried Alive. Oh, yeah. And this is a nasty I, little fucking movie. I love it. Yeah, didn't I mention that uh, a couple of weeks ago where I said, yeah, Beyond the Darkness, Buried Alive, that, yeah, oh, it has multiple names. What, Blue Omega, Buried Alive, Beyond the Darkness. It goes by many names, but, yeah, that movie is, it's such a nasty flick, and it's one of those random ones from back in my days working at the video store that I just brought home because I was like, whatever, I got free video rentals. So every night I'd take home like three movies and intrigued me. The cover art alone intrigued me, so I took it home. Yeah. Man, yeah. if you have not seen Buried Alive, then I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, uh, I cannot in good conscience. Uh, recommend it to someone who's not into horror films because it goes down some dark roads. Uh, So it's basically about a young, rich orphan 
and uh, he uh, his his wife dies, uh, or his girlfriend. I guess they're not really married. His fiance uh, dies because uh, his maid uh, gets the yeah. to put a spell on her that causes her to die. Right. So he digs the body up and brings it home. So uh, puts it in bed, puts it in his bed there, cleans it up, puts it in the bed. There we go. And now step one, uh, necrophilia. Uh, And then for reasons beyond comprehension, since he's got his wife or his girlfriend's dead body there and he's already uh, doing stuff with her, he decides that he needs to find a replacement for her, but uh, none of the women quite live up to his standard, so he goes on a uh, night-by-night murder spree, and uh, his uh, maid uh, helps him dispose of the bodies in increasingly disturbing ways. So, uh, yeah, so there you go. Check that out if that sounds like something that's interesting to you. (laughs) <laughs> but it and is the a great movie. I got, uh, yeah, it's a great movie. The way I got to see it is me and my cousin was in a video store looking for something to rent. And now the blue, this guy walked up. You don't want to watch that shit. It's all fucked up. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. tell that to it, a it teenage was... boy about 15 or 16. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you're in a video store looking in the horror movie section and some older guy comes up to you and says, yo, man, you got to check this out. It's fucked up. You're going to rent it. <laughs> of course you're going to rent it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was, that was and, by Joe D'Amato. Yeah. And, Joe D'Amato. Next is, yeah. yeah, Joe D'Amato. Yeah. If you're a fan of, uh, I don't. Would you really consider him to be part of the Giallo? Uh, he didn't really direct any movies that I would really consider to be like Giallo movies, like or Giallo. Yeah, however, he did. Joe uh, D'Amato was a gun for hire who pretty much directed everything and anything. He did the Black Emmanuel film, where yeah, right? if you can find those box sets complete, just get those even if just for the fucking soundtrack. Yeah, right, right. Because I get down to this Black Emmanuel theme. I just basically get down and boogie to it. (laughs) The only only other movie of his that I, uh, that even comes close to uh, Buried Alive is uh, Anthropophagus. I don't really know how to pronounce it. Anthropophagus. Yeah. Anthropophagus. That's the only movie of his that even comes close to being as like disturbing as uh, mm. as Buried Alive. Yeah, that that one's pretty messed and, up too. Yeah, and next is Blood Rage, where the only thing about it is not the director; it's the first non-slasher movie directed by Joseph Zito. One of the meanest 
that it has a frog monster. <laughs> and also right. Ray. Yeah. And yeah. would you believe a director was so pissed off? Why would you why would you consider the mood that the director would be in who when he was so pissed off and angry about his divorce and child custody battle that he wrote a movie about it. <laughs> well you can talk about I it mean, nowadays. That goes to uh like you know, Steven uh, Steven Spielberg has openly admitted that uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was uh, a direct, uh, you know, result of his messy divorce. So it's not unheard of, you know. Uh, yeah, but you know, this may yeah. be the only time in God's green earth that we're, that Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is compared to David Cronenberg's The Brood. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, that one is just good, period. But it goes into dark, emotional places that most people wouldn't want to travel. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about Cronenberg before on the show, and yeah, I I don't know. Now, we got two Davids here, not that we're going to talk about David Lynch, any of his movies specifically tonight, but yeah, David Lynch and David Cronenberg both kind of wallow in their own self-conscious, self-consciousness. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Whereas, you know, David Lynch, who is usually reticent to interview and discuss his films, he has often said that Eraserhead was a direct reaction to his fear of being a father at a young age, living, you know, with no income and in a shitty part of town, Oh, excuse me. Um, and the brood seems like that same. That seems like David Cronenberg's similar response. Um, you know, a fear of of marriage and children, and uh, well, he was still uh, ugly ass divorce, and him and his wife was on. If I had a kid, I'd stab her in the heart 20 times, and I wouldn't give a damn if I went to jail. Yeah, and... It's the only one of his films he hasn't talked about. And they kept asking him, even Criterion, do you want to do a commentary on The Brood? No. Why? <laughs> no. No. And the, the, the antagonist, or the presumed antagonist in The Brood, is a psychologist uh, and his wife is institutionalized, which may have been kind of like a fantasy, like uh version, you know, maybe he just felt like his, his ex-wife was crazy. And he, so he wrote this script where she's going to be institutionalized, but the antagonist is a psychologist. And I can tell you this uh, in all honesty, I've gone to couples therapy therapy before and 
you know, they make jokes about it in movies and on TV shows, but it's not untrue. If you go to couples therapy, whether they admit it or not, the therapist will take one person's side or the other. And I know that it, it pisses me off because they're supposed to be impartial, but each person tells their side of the story. And generally the therapist picks one person's side of the story or the other and kind of feeds into that. And yeah, uh, Abby and I went to couples therapy for about a year and then we called it quits because we were like, you know what? You're not really helping us. You're picking one side of the story or the other side of the story. And uh, I don't know. I think psychology is a bunch of hooey. I, I don't mind going to therapy, but like, well, that kind of, he does get into that because uh, Raglan's Raglan's, Philosophy played by uh, Oliver Reed is best on based on a mix of EFT and primal screen therapy. Right, right, yeah. Primal screen which therapy, were two which bullshit. Go ahead. Yeah. The only good thing that ever came from primal screen therapy was uh, was. Uh, John Lennon's plastic, uh, plastic Ono band album, where he starts the album off by screaming at his parents via song. <laughs> Which, all right, I bet that was therapeutic, but uh, otherwise, no, no. And that and you know, EFT that's... was this bizarre thing where they would make you sup you in a room with other people and you couldn't think about drinking water for six hours. You couldn't piss for six hours. Right. Yeah. And then uh, you know, this is kind of a this is kind of off topic, but um you remember uh well maybe we can get into this a little more uh, in our next episode when we discuss the films of the 80s, but, uh, you know, regression therapy, which led to the satanic panic of the 1980s where all these people yeah. were coming forward saying that they had been raped and, you know, tortured by satanic cults. And then, you know, you you go back, I mean, there are thousands of documentaries and articles about it available now where most of those people have come forward and said the same thing that you're saying about that, where it's just like, well, it probably didn't really happen. I was just kind of like brainwashed into thinking it because of the techniques that they use to try to make me remember. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, but yeah. Um, but there's a, there is a, there's a side quest. As, as as you might call it, if you're a millennial uh, or a video game uh, fan, there's kind of a side quest in the brood because uh, there's a there's a bunch of murders going on at the same time. There's a serial killer on the loose, or you know that's how it's set up, and that's why uh, uh, the the husband is trying to figure out what's really going on. So. 
That's a very and uh, it really brings out about how uh, Samantha Edgar's family are abusive alcoholics. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I said, this movie goes into dark emotional places that most people won't want to go. This is a Cronenberg's roughest to watch film in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. I mean, Cronenberg, I mean, you either love him or you hate him. Like, personally, I love him, but we've talked about him on the show in the past, and he is an acquired taste. If you start off with your first Cronenberg movie, you know, being one of his 70s films, you're either going to fall in love or you're going to get turned off real quick because they are bizarre. And, you know, they're now again, going back to David Lynch, they're not as, uh, they're not as uh, complex as far as, you know, existential ideas as David Lynch or, you know, uh, but they are disturbing and they do have twists and turns and, you know, maybe you're not going to get into it. If I had to pick a Cronenberg movie, if someone had never seen one of his movies and I had to pick one to start with, I would tell them Videodrome. I know it's, it's, it's disturbing and weird, but at least it has like a linear through line that makes sense if you if you pay attention to it and then obviously his later output when he got when he did stuff like a history of violence and uh uh what was the other movie that he did with Vigo Mortensen um oh eastern promises yeah eastern promises like now those movies are are violent and bloody you know gory but they're very straightforward. They're not like body horror movies, which is what he was more known for, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I I would definitely never suggest Crash as the first movie that you watch, even though it does have a straight through line and a fairly straightforward story. But um, I don't think anybody wants to see James' penis into an uh, open wound in the back of someone's leg as the first experience with a director before they uh, – Explore his catalog further. <laughs> yeah. And moving on, uh, we're going to a controversial one now because some people like it and some people hate it. I'm going to like it, but but I've always liked John Badham's work, and that is John Badham's Dracula. I actually like this movie. I thought this was one of the better, better versions of Dracula, and I like the changes he did to it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of of John Badham, but, I mean, yeah, that's probably one of his more interesting movies. Uh, yeah, I don't really know. Um, well, and moving on, we're going to... Talk about the second movie from the actor Jimmy Lane, whose first film was a porno film called Nine Lies of a Wet Pussy. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> All right. 
is that the movie we're talking about? The the movie is. I can't guess. I I don't. I've never seen a movie called Nine Lives of the Wet Pussy, so I don't know what movie you're. I don't know who you're referring to. Once I say the title of it, you're gonna be oh shit! He was a porno stud, and that movie <laughs> is the Driller Killer. Oh yeah, of course, Driller Killer. Yeah, that one. Did a porno, yeah. and it was called. You can get it on Vinegar Syndrome, and it's called Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy Cat. But <laughs> right. Abel's yeah. title is Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy. Oh man. No, yeah, I, I, is one I, I, of those you had to be a starring artist in New York City in the late seventies to get it. <laughs> right? Uh, no. no, I I love I love Abel Ferrer and I love Driller Killer. It that actually I think that the first movie of his that I think I ever saw was Bad Lieutenant. And if you haven't seen Bad Lieutenant Go get a copy of Bad Lieutenant. That movie is amazing. That, but he's he's made some movies that are a little more high class. Like The Funeral is really really good. Um, but King yeah, of New York. King of New York is amazing. Driller Killer is pure 42nd Street sleaze, but it's a great movie. And um, I think it reminds me a lot of Combat Shock. We talked about Combat Shock within the last couple oh, of weeks. Oh, Buddy Gibbs. Buddy Gibbs is on. Oh, yeah. That would yeah. make a hell of a it's, double feature. Yeah. Driller Killer and Combat Shock would be a great double feature. But, yeah. Mm. Um, it's kind of funny because, you know, I mean, you know, I've I've been a musician, I've been a writer, I've been a stand-up comedian. I mean, I'm still all of those things. I still make music, I still do stand-up comedy, I still write for websites and magazines and stuff, but you know, that that doesn't pay my bills. It it's a little extra money in my pocket, but for the most part, I still have to have a day job, you know. So yeah. I can feel I can feel what uh, the driller killer goes through as he's a, he's a a starving artist. He does not have a day job. So he's just trying to make money off of his artwork. And now I'm lucky. I live in a quiet neighborhood and uh, you know, in a nice house. So I don't really have to deal with uh, what, what ultimately drives him over the edge though, is the band that lives in the apartment next door that evidently, if you watch the film, they seem to practice 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but they only have one song. And uh, yeah. I, I think that would drive anyone insane if you're Well, if you're what already drives them insane is that, one, his girlfriend leaves him to live with him, and two, they're yeah. having a party because they got a record deal. Right, right. Yeah, but it's it is. Um, but yeah, we're you get like that. You're like, hey, it's a fellow podcaster. Steve, <laughs> I just signed a contract where I'm making so much money. You motherfucking son of a bitch! <laughs> All right, I'm right. glad for you. 
I hope you fucking die. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I love yeah. I love getting up in, I love getting up in the morning to go to my friggin' nine to five job when, you know, and then I go online and uh, some fucking kid who plays video games on YouTube all night just made a million dollars. And I'm like, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, or yeah. A podcast well, I'm gonna... that does nothing but talk about 80 things. Uh, yeah, right? Well, mm. for we're not much better. All we ever talk about is old movies that nobody watches anymore except for us and the people who listen to our podcast. So. <laughs> I know. Uh, I don't give I don't a know. shit. <clears throat> Everyone's got to find something, you know. And moving but, yeah. on, uh, uh, Charles B. Pierce's The Evictors, which is good, but I'm Southern, so anything Charles B. Pierce does is good to me. Right. And this one has Vic Morrow, Michael Parks, and Jessica Harper in a uh, what starts out as a haunted house film but turns into a bizarre slasher by the end of it, and it's good. I yeah. mean, shit, it's got Michael and Parks in it, damn it. Yeah, right? It's got Vic Morrow and Michael Parks, so how are you going to shit on that? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I love Michael Parks, and as you well know, as I mentioned almost every week, by the by, that Tarantino is my favorite director, and he's uh, he's put Michael Parks in a bunch of his movies, and I've I've always liked Michael Parks anyway. But you know, seeing him pop up in Tarantino movies is always fun. Um, it's the same, uh, you know, like. Uh, I thought it was really funny when Sonny Chiba showed up in uh, Kill Bill. Uh, and, you know, it's like, okay, when when Tarantino put John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, that was kind of fun. It was like, oh, look, Travolta's back. And then Travolta kind of went off the rails again and screwed his career up for a second time. But uh, Michael Parks, and Robert Forrester really took advantage of the boost that their careers got after appearing in a Tarantino movie and kind of went back. Not that they made every, every movie that they made was great, but you know, they at least took advantage of it. They were great to, in it. Yeah, they were great. And they tried to, they at least tried to go back, you know, get back on track, you know? Um, but yeah, yeah, I love, they asked uh, Kevin Smith, why did you hire Michael Parks for uh, Tusk after working with him in Red State? He's like, shit, man, I'd hire him to film a movie of him reading the fucking phone book. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. He is. He is the highlight of both of those movies. I mean, I like Red State a lot. I, I think Red State, you know, I've told you this before, you know, I went to high school with Kevin Smith, you know, we're not, we don't talk to each other personally, but we're friends on Facebook. We follow each other on Twitter. And I've told him, I said, you know, chasing Amy is my favorite movie that you've ever made. But I think red state is your masterpiece. You know, like you stepped outside your comfort zone and you made an amazing movie and Michael Parks absolutely kills it. Now, 
I think Tusk is kind of a goofy movie. It's definitely freaky, um, but and it's kind of, and it, but I think it's kind of goofy. But man, Michael Parks owns that film. I mean, to be yeah, fair, there's only that's the only reason I've seen Tusk. I'm like, oh god, he's making another horror film. God damn, it's about a stupid war. Is it? Oh, Michael yeah. Parks is a bad guy. Okay, here's my money. <laughs> There's only five characters in that movie total, yeah. and uh, you know, and but yeah, Michael Parks owns and, that uh, flick. You but can get like you said, uh, the Evictors on its own disc from uh, Shout Factory. It's good, right? But if yeah, I was going to sure. recommend you see anything, is the first film by Charles B. Pierce. It wouldn't be The Legend of Boggy Creek, its most famous film. It would be The Town That Dreaded Sundown. But moving yeah. on, we got Fascination by Jean Rolling. Why did we fall in love with this movie? Oh, yeah. Bridget <laughs> Leahy in that fucking robe coming towards the camera with the size and it blowing open. I would have right. been dead. I wouldn't have been able to move. <laughs> well, certain parts right. of my body would move, but let's not get into that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we. Uh, I think we. I think we touched on this a little bit. Oh, well, well, I didn't mean. I didn't mean <laughs> I touched on. You know, no, we oh, we talked yeah, about this. Well, hell, even the girl was like, "Why do you watch this?" Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, maybe one of it's during uh, Jean Rolin's gold period where you come out with fascination, living dead girl, great right. death. Yeah. And yeah. next uh, is. It, it, go ahead. It it follows a very uh, it follows a very well. I don't know. I mean, we're talking about films from 1979, so. I mean, this may very well have been like one of the earlier versions of this, but it follows that very simple uh, pattern of, oh, a criminal on the run, uh, finds a place to hide, takes people hostage, and then finds out that he's really the hostage. Whoa! <laughs> you know? It's it's one of those kind of things, like... Uh, there's a, all I can say and is there's a, and, it, and the whole movie plays like a song. It's just so lyrical in the way it's shot and the way everything is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, it all, um, I, I guarantee that Dario Argento took some ideas from, you know, I'm not saying that he ripped off anything from this movie. I'm just saying, I'm sure Dario Argento saw this movie and, you know, the way that it's filmed, uh, the color palette, um, just kind of the overall uh, atmosphere of it. I think it kind of, yeah. it, it reminds me of, it reminds me of Argento. Yeah. I mean, not one, not 100, not like, yeah. This one is one of the grungiest of the, of the women in prison films, and that human experiment with Ellen Peralta, Linda Haynes. 
This is yeah. the woman she gets locked up and dealt shoot the little boy. And it has Joffrey Lewis as the crazy doctor who does bugs and all sorts of shit on the female prisoners just to drive them batshit crazy. Right? Yeah. I don't know, man. It's hard to choose the sleaziest, you know, not exploitation film. We might have to do a whole show on that sometime just to really figure out yeah. because, <laughs> because, man. Yeah. That that is a whole. Is, uh, yeah. And we got so, Killer Fish, which is one of the last of the dog clip-offs by Antonio Margarita, which means even if the movie sucks, this one has some badass action. Yeah, Killer Fish. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Killer Fish has some has some it it's interesting because it has a different kind of uh plot to it where yeah they're they go scuba diving to try to find are they try I can't remember are they trying to find lost treasure or is it yeah is lost it, treasure it has the magic piranhas that protect the treasure and will kill anyone who comes near the place Right, right. I couldn't remember if that was the one. What's the movie where they, um, it's not from 79, but it's definitely from the 70s, where the, um, where the thieves, uh, rob a bank and then they throw the money overboard and escape so that when they get caught, they don't have any, there's no evidence against them, but then they go back out to retrieve the money and they get, Attacked by sharks, or I can't remember. But. Yeah, it's shark with uh, Burt Reynolds. Right, right. And well, yes, he directed it, but neither Burt Reynolds or the director take any credit for it because uh, they wanted to shut down the movie after a cast member got killed by a shark. But they said, finish <laughs> it. So Sam Fuller and Burt Reynolds went, okay. Fuck you! You're not going to be able to make a cent off our names, <laughs> right? So that, yeah, that, yeah, that's the movie I'm thinking of. Yeah. Now, unlike this now film, uh, yeah, Killer Fish had uh, Lee Majors in it. Yeah. 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 And uh, Karen Black. Oh, you gotta love anything with Karen Black, baby. Oh man. I this mean, was in between uh, the six thousand dollar man and uh, the fall guy. The six thousand dollar man. He was the six million dollar man. You, you, you're selling him for six thousand. I'll take it. I said six million. The six no, you, didn't. you said okay. You said 6, Sorry, but I gotta say this because of the title. I'm not talking about. Super nigger, a.k.a. the $6,000 nigger. Why? Because black people are made cheaper. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> oh, man. The views expressed on this show. Who else was in that movie? Uh, was it? Oh, was it? No. 
There's a Hemingway in there, but it wasn't Margot Hemingway. She would have been way too young then. Muriel. Oh, Muriel Hemingway. No, wait, Mur- Muriel Hemingway is the younger one, I think. I think it was Margot yeah, Hemingway. Uh, 
And the comic book you doesn't mean even really a hard, that. hard R that pretty much, if they did it right, should be an NC-17 comic book. <laughs> and making Whoa, it a PG-13 movie is a good, bad idea? No. I just got spooked, man. Sorry, I, I just got spooked. I When I yelled shit, my Alexa thought that I was mad at her and started talking from behind me, and I got scared that someone else was in the house. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, if they did a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie right, it should have been an NC-17 or at least a very, very, very hard R. And I know, like, Alan Moore gets so irritated by all of his uh, all of the movie adaptions of his films, but I don't know. I thought Watchmen and V for Vendetta were at least passable films. I mean, you know, I don't own he either one of them. I don't, up. You, know, you know, I don't watch them or you know, I don't own them, but yeah. I've seen them and they seem passable to me. You know, I mean, but uh, oh, but um, yeah, but you know. A really good, uh, a really good film that has, uh, is it, is it Sherlock Holmes? What's the one uh, with Malcolm McDowell where he's the time traveler? That's Time After Time, right? Oh, Time After Time, yeah, where he plays H.G. Wells who has to chase uh, ah, Jack yeah. the Ripper into the 21st century, played by uh, David Warner. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good and movie. David Warner like finds one. a machine gun and kills like five people in the middle of the street and walks on, and he's like, God damn, I love it here. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and moving on, like- remember how we talked about how great Aliens poster was and zombies and all that? Yeah. Have you ever seen Nightwing's original poster? I don't think so. They put the title and the goddamn name of the movie upside down, like a bat hanging upside down. <laughs> well, yeah, I have, I, I've never seen that version of the poster. The only version of the poster I've ever seen is the one with the uh, the girl on her knees with the bats flying all around her face. Yeah, her head. just imagine yeah. seeing that poster and going, what the fuck? Right. This movie isn't any good. It's the one about the killer bats and the Indians. But now we're moving on. You said you hate it when a character's done again. Screw you, Herzog Nosferatu. <laughs> yeah? I don't know. I'm not a big fan of vampires anyway, but go ahead. Tell me what. Tell me what you love about it. The fact is, it's almost a silent film. It's gorgeous. It has so many yeah. scenes in it that are just painted, they're just shot like paintings. Like yeah. that scene well, during the whole credits with the kittens playing with the yarn for no fucking reason otherwise, and God, that looks beautiful. Well, I think he took a lot of uh, influence from the original Nosferatu, or Maybe not the original. Uh, oh, who did the? There was the original silent Nosferatu, but then was it was yeah. it Fritz Lang that did the first remake? 
No, uh, the Herzog version was the first first remake. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, who did the original one? It, I thought I thought it freaked uh, Who did no? No, the first one was German. That was uh. Yeah. Damn it! I got it right over here. Let me go check. Her now. Oh yeah. I don't know. It's not. This one it's was the so stoner much. weed version of a vampire film. Cause mm-hmm. that's right. the audience that it played for, and that's the audience that it hit. Those that would just want to go to a theater after midnight and go. Right. <sighs> 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 that's what me so beautiful. Yeah, it was made for stoners. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well. Um, I know for Herzog's version, uh, I've, at least I've read this before. I don't know if it's true, but, uh, the scene with the rats, those are all real rats. Now imagine being a stoner at a midnight movie in the theater. I mean, we're talking about pre CGI. So, you know, you're sitting there in the theater and all of a sudden, a thousand rats swarm around the screen and, you know, you got to know, like, they didn't know anything. They, they CGI wasn't even a blip in its father's eye back then. So, you know, like, that was just all of a sudden, like, holy shit, there's a lot of rats. I got to go. <laughs> uh, I got a story about that. And uh, it's when uh, Frank Hennelot is standing on the deuce and someone yells at the screen, we got bigger rats in this theater, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. And moving on, what would you talk, think about a movie that's basically described by its director is an after-school special gone to hell? <laughs> Why can't Tori read? <laughs> yeah. Now, now this one had a poster to make you shit your pants. I mean, it's just so gorgeous. It's got the silver balls, the blood on it, the little Jawa monster, the little dwarf creatures, a casket. Yeah. And what was the tagline? If you can't, if you. If you, if this doesn't scare you, you're already dead. Yeah. Yeah. Phantasm. Phantasm. What a bizarre film, man. Like, I, no matter how many times I watch Phantasm, it never, I mean, I understand it. I mean, I get it. But, man, what a bizarre film. I mean... That's not that's not unusual for any uh you know, any film by Don Coscarelli. They're all weird. But Phantasm, I'm sure like most people, was the first film of his I ever saw. That that might have even been his first was that his first film? Phantasm? Yeah, no, his second third film. Really? He did yeah. uh, Here Come the Tigers. 
Yeah. And another kitty film, I forget what the name of it is. I, Billy the World's Greatest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. And that's and, where he uh, met this hippie guy who was on the set who played Billy's father. Right. And then he met this other guy who came in, an older guy who played uh, Billy's grandfather. Right. Yeah. Phantasm is a bizarre movie, and if anybody hasn't, anybody who's listening hasn't seen it, you should go check this movie out. It is a bizarre film by any metric. Uh, parallel dimensions, people possibly rising from the dead. Uh, what? I don't even know. I don't even know how to begin to describe this movie um, to people. If you've never seen it, then you should just go watch it. Uh, everyone has at least seen the spiked ball flying through the air and driving into people's foreheads. I mean, that's a pretty... Ooh, I love that. You know, this, I love that nasty thunk. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah... It's a really, I don't know, it's just such a bizarre film. And considering that we're talking about 1979, the special effects when they go into the, you know, uh, alternate universe uh, are actually pretty amazing for, for the, not just for the time period, but for the budget, you know? I mean, everyone always talks about, oh, Star Wars did so much with such a small budget. Well, I mean, and that was obviously a few years before Phantasm, but Phantasm did a did amazing with a with a small budget too. And uh I don't know if it's his latest movie, but Don Coscarelli directed John Dies at the End. That's an amazing film too. Yeah. And, and that was and the it, last film that he's directed. Who's Phantasm Ravager? Right. That one was a direct-to-video, right? I didn't didn't yeah. we talk about it? I think we talked about it when we yeah. were talking about it, some it's of his direct-to-video. It's kind that for all of his bizarre, unique energies, most of the time all Don Coscarelli has done is Phantasm sequels. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why that's why John Dies at the End was such a fun ride. I mean, it captures the same spirit as Phantasm. It felt like, it felt like, and I don't really care for any of the Phantasm sequels. I like the first one. The rest of them are, I'm just kind of like, meh, take them or leave them. Uh, They exist, but I don't really care. But John Dies at the End actually feels like it could have been another Phantasm movie. Like, if I had Phantasm and then Phantasm 2, John dies at the end, I would have been satisfied with that. Well, no, again, I have to go back to the discussion we were yeah. having on the show a couple of weeks ago. You know I need a trilogy. I always need yeah. a trilogy. <laughs> yeah, that's the, yeah, that was the first film ever since Knoxville Horror Fest, and that was uh, John Dies at the End. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that they year they announced it at the 1st of October, and I bought my tickets like 25 days in advance. <laughs> <laughs> the 
like but, on the twenty fifth, Don dies at the end. Don Coscarelli, boom, here's my money. Oh, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's a. It's definitely. I mean, I can see why he was attracted to it. You know, I I can see why the uh, the book is the book is great, and I can see why uh why he was attracted to making a film version of it, and. If you haven't seen the movie, see it. If you haven't read the book, read it. And if you like and the book... if you haven't it. seen so. Phantasm, fuck the Blu-rays of the first film. Fuck them all to hell. Try to find the MGM DVD. Because yeah. every other version is not the MGM DVD. Cuts out 90% of the extras, which includes 20 minutes of alternate footage... Uh, a disco version of the Phantasm theme, which is just fucking amazing. The Blu-ray just, the Blu-ray just cut out all the extras, like up yeah. for a majority of the extras. Huh. Yeah, and yeah. this is going to be the one you're going to be hooing about the most. It has the NGN DVD has the full version of Sitting Here at Midnight on it. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's such and a moving on. Oh, oh, no, I was just gonna say that that scene is such a bizarre little aside in the film, but it actually uh it actually sets up it's it sets up the characterization very well. It in it it's almost yeah. a way to intro, introduce you to the characters, you know, and that's uh you know Good writing. I appreciate good writing, you know. And they pulled that song out of their ass about six hours before they filmed the scene. Right, right. He said they were going off set and ready for the next day, and Don said, okay, can you guys write a song before tomorrow morning? Uh, Maybe. Uh, Maybe. Maybe, All right, what do you got next? Next is one of the most lying-ass motherfucking posters there ever was. we seen this poster. We're like, oh, God, that's one of the scariest fucking monsters we ever saw. What the hell is this? And then we seen Prophecy. And we seen an ugly skinned bear. <laughs> right. Like, this is a goofy motherfucker. It's goofy. Yeah, yeah. The poster is the scariest thing about the movie. Uh, I don't know. Uh, But yeah. Uh, And moving on is a favorite of something weird because you pretty much can't get a DVD without this one's audio ad. Which I've never seen because it's been it's a hard motherfucker to find in that scream of a winter's night. Scream of a winter's night. Yeah. Is that is that the only title that's available under? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. No, but you've heard the radio trailer. They taught almost every uh, something weird. This. Yeah, I've yeah I've heard the I've heard the trailer uh, yeah the radio trailer which yeah we didn't really get too far into that at the top of the show but we did uh, you know uh, Stephen uh, put those 
radio trailers on there, and we were talking about it a little bit. But um, yeah, if you're a fan of we're already on P, we're going to get diseases. (laughs) And that is silent scream. The fact that this movie is any good is a goddamn fucking miracle, and it is pretty good. Oh yeah, silent scream. Yeah. Yep, for sure. You know what happened? The director turned in his movie. And the producer said, okay, this movie sucks. And they refilmed half of the fucking movie. Right? <clears throat> and my my favorite thing about that movie is I'm a I'm a pushover for Cameron Mitchell, man. Like yeah. I love Cameron Mitchell. And, Cameron Mitchell yeah, and the Doritos guy. You had to be back <laughs> in the seventies to get that joke. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And do you remember the poster? Uh, I have like a little miniature version of the poster. Uh, yeah. Uh, in one of my in one of my books, and it says. <laughs> and uh, you notice know what two names? What name is not on the poster? Rebecca Balding's name's on the poster. Yvonne DiCarlo's name's on the poster. But right? Barbara Steele's name ain't on the poster, and he had to fight for that. And Barbara Steele was one, I mean, at the time, she was one of the biggest actresses in the B-movie industry. So right. And her would, appearance in the movie was supposed to be a surprise. Well, you know it right? is. It's like, oh, holy shit, Barbara Steele. Yeah. Isn't it sad, really, how many times that the director we can get into this when we do a marketing episode, but how many times directors had to fight to keep the fucking secrets? <laughs> no? Right. Well, I'll tell you this much. They pulled one over on me today. I was I was flipping through Netflix, and, mm. you know, I'm not the biggest Adam Sandler fan, but I've been reading a lot of reviews of the new Halloween movie that he did. Uh, and so I was like, well, fuck it. It's a lazy afternoon. Like I told you, I've been on vacation this week while my parents are yeah. visiting. So I was like, I'll watch this new Adam Sandler movie. At least I'll probably get a couple of chuckles out of it. There's a couple of surprise cameos in there that, ah, after they were revealed, I was like, well, of course, because, you know, Adam Sandler always, every one of his movies has the same friggin' group of pals in it, you know. And yeah. every, every Adam Sandler movie is just an excuse for him to fuck around with his friends for money, you know. Like, hey, like, let's let's go to Hawaii. Hey, you think I'll, I wouldn't mind my, my that? Hey, <laughs> no. hey, let's go to fucking Hawaii. Okay. We'll make a movie. Yeah, right. Hey. Right. We'll get paid and go on fucking vacations. Yeah. Let's go go to Hawaii and make a movie. We'll get paid millions of dollars for it, and then we'll take a vacation. What? You were just in Hawaii. (laughs) But there were a couple of cameos in that movie that I should have seen coming. I was just like, you know, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who might care to watch it. It's actually a pretty funny movie. It's actually a pretty funny movie. Yeah, but, it's uh, fun. It's I mean, a fun it, Halloween you know. movie. That's how you fucking work or something. 
And next is one that not too many people know, but they should fucking know, and that's Thirst. The vampire film from Australia with David Hemmings and Henry Silva about the vampires that try to make this woman into the queen of the vampires and run a factory where they where they drain the blood from them and sell them and sell the blood to other vampires in milk cartons. It's just. Uh-huh. So full of ideas that it's just insane. Have you seen it? Yes, yeah, um, yeah. They, <laughs> yeah, they even they even call it the dairy farm, but they refer to the people that they're keeping there as the blood cows. Yeah. The blood cows. <laughs> the blood cows on the dairy farm. <laughs> yeah. 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 This yeah, one, that's a, he doesn't like vampire films, but this one has so many fresh freaking ideas that you can make like four movies out of just the ideas in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot packed into it. In uh, you know, the kind of movie that like nowadays um well, I say nowadays, but when you talk about filmmaking nowadays, you have to consider the Netflix method where this could be like a 10-episode series, so it could be like 10 hours long because there are a lot of ideas packed in. Um, The basic premise, though, revolves around uh, Madame Bathory, uh, who, if anyone isn't familiar with that story, uh, she supposedly bathed in the blood of virgins to keep herself young, um, which I'm not sure if that's an historical fact or just some crazy uh, legend that that we've passed down. But, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah, like I said, you're right. Well, like you said, and you are right, and like I said, uh, yeah, if they made this today, it would be a 10-episode, 10 10-hour 10 Netflix series because there's a lot of shit going on in this movie. It, yeah, it, it has too many storylines for its running running time. <laughs> and yeah. this one, for the older ones, when I say that this is the one that more of you should watch, this is for the younger ones, not the older ones. The older ones are like, shit, I think this motherfucker scared the hell out of me, and that's tourist trap. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, I I had that one on my list. Yeah. Uh, tourist trap. This one is just creepy. Yeah. It's creepy, yeah. and much like, uh, yeah, it, it has... It, much like Thirst, it has a lot of ideas going on. It's got your typical, uh, oh, teenagers going off on an adventure uh, and getting lost. But then it's got the whole killer, your your Jason type of killer, for those of you who are, you know, Friday the 13th fans or, you know, Halloween, Michael Myers. Um, but then it's got some weird uh, t- 
telekinesis side plot and mannequins that come to life, this movie will blow your mind. It's it it's not a great movie by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but it's a good it's a good like just sit back and enjoy the ride because it's fun. <laughs> it's a fun film. Uh, yeah. But yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely, I mean, you know, we don't talk about this enough on the show, but a lot of times we talk about movies, and, I mean, we always talk about movies. That's the whole crux of our show. But a, a lot of times we don't talk about the fact that there are some movies that you could just not make today on, on a studio budget. You would absolutely, if, if somebody came up with this exact same story today, all right, let's see, kids get lost, uh, they go to a museum, uh, there's a serial killer who has telekinetic powers, and uh, mannequins come to life. Can you imagine pitching that at a major studio nowadays? Like, <laughs> they tell you to simplify it. There's no way. There's well, no to way. be honest, if you want to see what they would do with this exact same plot nowadays, look at the shitty House of Wax remake. Yeah. Which was yeah. not a shitty House of Wax remake. It was a shitty no. Taurus Trap remake. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But the only reason they got funding for that was because it had friggin' what? No, I don't. Jesus Christ. This is This is how little she meant to me uh oh paris hilton right yeah <laughs> i was yeah. like the only good yeah. thing about paris hilton is her amazing ability to do certain tricks that only certain actors in a certain genre can do in that little video that's leaked online <laughs> right <laughs> i will say one thing though i will I will give Paris Hilton this much credit for the House of Wax remake. Um, she at least, I don't know if it was her or the director, but at least one of them, if not both of them, had the good sense to know that, yes, a lot of tweens are coming to see this movie because Paris Hilton is in it, but let's kill her off first and just get it over with, and then they can, you know, We'll just it'll just be done. <laughs> it'll be over. She's yeah. gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was like Okay, a, moving a on. Go ahead. Finish up. No, I was just gonna say that was like the funny thing. Uh I saw Mystery Science Theater three thousand live uh a couple years ago and like of course, you know, in Mystery Science Theater if you're a fan, you're a fan, you know? So most everybody there was a fan. It was a packed house, like an opera house with a balcony and like hundreds of people were there. And there were two girls that were just talking and talking and talking the whole time. And people kept shushing them. And they were like girls in their early twenties, you know? And finally one of the girls was like, you know what? We're just going to leave. This isn't that funny anyway. And they stomped off and we were all like, all right, good. Get the fuck out of here. But uh, I got a story. I, I forget. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, I feel like that was probably the same way that that these tweens were when Paris Hilton died at the beginning of House of Wax. They were probably like, all right, let's go. 
Let's go get some fries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, the story I got, it was, it was uh, during the movie, early 2000s. I forget what it was. It was over in Knoxville. This guy was talking on his phone during the start of a movie. And did you ever see that skit from uh, George Carlin where he talks about Voice of Doom? Yep, yep, of course, yep. Yeah, I had it was my voice to do moment because it was like blah 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 blah, and all of a sudden you hear this voice of doom, big big voice, shut the fuck up and get off the phone. And then the, <laughs> right? And then the person talking stood up and there was this little skinny drink of water. He's like, make me. And then <laughs> and then like. You- and then and you, this you giant know. wall rose up. Yeah. I was gonna Give say, and then you stood up. Yeah. No, I didn't stand uh, up. It was this giant wall with guy, and he said, "Are you going to do something now?" No, sir. <laughs> Give me your phone. Oh. Okay, sir. Crack. Thank you, sir. I was gonna. No, I was gonna say. I was going to say you stood up because you're a pretty big boy yourself. So I was thinking you were going to say I stood up oh, and no. uh, looked this at him. And like, look, this guy made me. This guy made me. This guy from the shadow made me look like Ralph. He had muscles on his <laughs> muscles, and then he had that little skinny guy just go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. What do you got next? What do you happen if you take a movie, snort cocaine, then do LSD, and then write a movie? You would get The Visitor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you would. Dango Jesus. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Uh. Even just reading off the cast will make you go, what the fuck? (laughs) Right. I mean, you got uh, Paige Singh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Mel Ferrer, <laughs> Lynn Ford, Lance Henriksen in the film that he freaking hates. Kelly mm-hmm. Winters uh, as if you're acting like a snotty little actor. Have you ever heard a Shelly Winter story about the movie that the little girl told? I don't. I don't know. Remind me. I may. I might you recognize know, it. You uh, know the scene where uh, Shelly Winters is shaking her and slaps her. Yeah. She literally slaps the shit out of her, and then <laughs> the little girl said, "Why'd you do that?" And Shelly looks at her and goes, "Welcome to Hollywood, bitch." <laughs> and the visitor also had uh, Sam Peckinpah in one of his like yeah few Sam act- Peckinpah in it yeah yeah he was there in one of his few acting and John roles John Houston oh yeah John Houston yeah no you're right this movie is definitely all right I'm thinking that. When, in your timeline, when you were mentioning uh, the possible substances, I'm thinking they did the LSD first, because the main idea is that 
an intergalactic warrior comes to Earth, and uh, the deal, there's someone who either is or thinks, I can't, I haven't watched this movie for a long time, they either are actually Jesus, or they think that they're Jesus. Yeah, Django Jesus. Franco Nero is Jesus. Right, and then there's a demon, (laughs) demon baby, uh, and she has a bird. She has a bird for a pet. Yeah. Oh man, this movie and is fucked calls, up. And she calls, uh, and she calls Gwen Ford a pervert and a pedophile. Right. So I'm thinking they did the LSD. Yeah. I'm thinking they did the LSD first, came up with the yeah. idea, then they did the coke and wrote the script. They <laughs> stayed up for three days straight on the coke, writing the script. Uh, probably periodically re-upping on the LSD. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now you like to touch little girls, don't you, you pervert? <laughs> now, now, is this the same? I'm I'm trying to think. Um, is this the same? Uh, I've seen a couple of different. Um, posters. Does is there a version of the poster for this version of the visitor, this movie, the visitor that has just the big eyeball on it? Yeah, an eyeball, and depends on where you've seen it. One has the hands with blood going yeah. across them, like a blood booger, and the other one right. doesn't have the blood. Yeah, and then there's one that just has. Uh, I think it just has the the bird on it, or maybe the bird and the girl. Um, I think that might be the French yeah. poster. Yeah, I think that might be the yeah. French poster. Yeah, if I you couldn't remember. Bizarre bat shit and same movies. Watch The Visitor. This is one I wish. Oh my God, I wish during their prime, when they actually were good and not hanging for low hanging fruit. That MST3K3000 when they're done. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, just to see I the don't... reactions when the little girl starts cursing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I think I think we have a better chance of seeing some more, like, outlandish movies now that MST3K is over on Netflix. I think... A lot of times we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Within the last couple of weeks, you and I talked about how uh, when they did Squirm, they had to edit out some of the best scenes because it was on cable television. So there were things that they couldn't and, show and things. That, uh, and a lot of it so, was cut out because of they just wanted to. They took a ninety-minute movie and then decided to put like a twenty-minute fucking short in front of it, and then add the time for the commercials. Yeah, yeah. That's what Abby and I talk about this all the time because I watch a lot of MST3K over here, and uh, Abby and I are both just like, I understand that there's a formula that they've been going with since day one, but all of the little skits in between are just annoying. Just show the movie, make riff on the movie, and just, you know, I don't need all the little stupid the the like we've like you know 
the movie is an hour, like with the magic sword, then you could do the whole movie and have the skit. But when a movie's like 90 minutes or more and you're having to cut out movie, and then what always annoyed me and that's them, well, this bit makes no sense. Yeah, because you cut it out, you asshead. <laughs> right. Well, another thing that Abby and I have always said, as much as we love a mystery science theater, it's like the humor that they project at the screen when they're ripping on a movie is so much more intellectual and thought-provoking than when they do the skits. It's like, like Abby pointed this out. She's just like, so when they're doing the skits, they're like doing like high school fart jokes. And then when they go back in the theater, they start making all these pop culture references that you have to be intelligent to actually get, you know? It's like... Yeah, like uh, like, uh, the Kafka joke during the giant... Right. Right. Yeah. It's like they they save all their best material, you know, they save all their best material for the theater. So, yeah. Yeah. And moving back uh, on people, you know, how many times have you been asked, what's the first horror film that you've seen in the theater? Well, mine was in 1979. And I don't know what my mom was thinking, taking me to this because, this movie has sunk pretty much one of the scariest first 20 minutes of a movie ever. But that really makes a lot of freaking sense that this was taken from a short film. And this is Fred Walton's When a Stranger Calls. Yeah. There is no other characters in the first 20 minutes but Carol Kane and good God, this she not only does three points, she does a three point with her back turned to the buckboard, dunks from oh. halfway across the court, blindfolded. Yeah. Oh, man. This, all right. Now, let me tell you what terrified me about this film when I was a kid is so when I was young, my mother. Uh, was in college. Uh, it, not that you know, not that she was college aged, but she went to college when she was a little older, and then she had to work at night. So basically, from the time I got home from school until the time she got home at eleven o'clock at night, I was home alone. Well, now this was the early eighties. And I don't know how prevalent this is for anyone who might be listening, but prank phone calls were a big thing back then. But yeah, it was the it, it was it wasn't like I mean like if me and my friends made a prank phone call, we'd goof on somebody, you know, kind of like Jerky Boy style. But we used to get a lot of prank phone calls that would just be somebody like breathing heavily. You know, like pervert phone calls. You know, like the it, it, there's kind right of when a, you call your wife from when you're on the road, <laughs> right? Right. So yeah, call her like, up. Uh, uh, like <laughs> oh, with you again. <laughs> so <laughs> so I uh, 
I used to be home alone from the time I got home from school until the time my mom got home. Uh, at this point, uh, you know, my parents were divorced and my mother was single. And like I said, she would go to school and then she'd go to work and I would just be home alone all night. So uh, I usually would just watch TV and, you know, read comic books, play with my GI Joes, masturbate, you know, the things that kids do. And, uh, and yeah, so after I saw this movie, I was so freaked the fuck out every time that we got a prank phone call and I answered the phone and someone was just breathing heavy on the other end. I'd be like, the call is coming from inside the house. (laughs) That's all I could think. I would just freak out. I would go in my room and close the door and be like, oh my God, the call is coming from inside the house. (laughs) Uh, it is a great, um, I, I think Kelly, I didn't we didn't we write about this on in one of our articles for uh, uh, our massive when we when the when the sesploitation conflagration was a uh, uh, blog yeah before slashers was, that aren't yeah. slashers yeah I think yeah I think we I think we wrote about it before but yeah but, yeah for this yeah. whole movie there's no gore in it there's no real on screen violence but. Just the way they describe yeah. everything, you know, they tore the kids apart and there was blood all over the room. Yeah. It's a creepy friggin' movie. For no doubt about it. It is creepy. And you're right. Um, it is pretty amazing that, like, for the first first half of the movie, Carol Kane carries the whole thing. And she's great. I mean, and... You don't think about Carol Kane in that regard because she mostly did comedy for her career. But I mean, mm. this was an er- this was an early role for her. I think uh, probably one of her yeah. first. Yeah, but she's mostly done comedy for her career. So well, her first role was playing the prostitute in uh, the Last Detail. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, I forgot all about the last detail. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie forever. But, but yeah, this is a good, creepy, solid, very atmospheric movie. Yeah. And yeah, I love it goes you know, to places where you don't expect. And like I'm for the middle part I'm of the thinking. movie. Go ahead. No, no, you. Say say what you're going to say. The middle part of the movie, it's like the serial killer. You feel sympathy for him because you have a crazy-ass Charles Durning looking to hunt him down to kill him. (laughs) Right. Well, it's like we've we've talked about before. Like, uh, yeah, the direction of... the way the film is directed, it creeps you out. I mean, it's creepy throughout, but it's like the same thing we've talked about uh, with like Hitchcock's Psycho before. It's like you know, you see someone being terrorized, and you know, like I've mentioned this many times before. This is one of the reasons why Hitchcock is one of my favorite directors. When you see Norman clean up after the murder in the shower. And he goes to push Marion's car into the lake. Uh, it's 
when when the car doesn't stink, all of a sudden, without even realizing it, you're like, oh shit, this guy's gonna get caught. But then you're like, wait, he just murdered someone. Or obviously, you don't know that. Spoiler alert for a movie that's 150 yeah. years old. But but Norman is not the killer. Uh, Norman's mother is not the killer. Um, but yeah, but you know, it's it's that subtle twist in the plot, you know, like you're rooting for Marion all along. She steals the money. She's running away to be with her boyfriend and, you know, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden she's murdered. Norman's trying to protect his mother. And then when he pushes that car into the, into the swamp and it doesn't sink, you're like, Oh man, he's going to get caught. And then you're like, wait a second. Why do I care? He just, some stuff. Somebody just got murdered at his hotel. I don't care if he gets in trouble yeah. or not. But <laughs> but it's the same thing with, like you said, like when a stranger calls, you're like, this guy's been terrorizing this woman. But wait, now, well, I don't know if I want him to get caught. What I mean, what did he ever do aside from murder some children? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but still, uh, but, uh, becomes sort of a psycho himself, and he's scary shit during that middle part, <laughs> right? Uh, but no, but what I was going to say before is, uh, I think this is, you know, I, I read a lot of books about like, uh, urban legends and, uh, I'm fairly certain, you know, this was based on, uh, an urban legend that, uh, you know, you know, the whole, the whole thing is, you know, the, the killer keeps falling. Have you checked the children? Have you checked the children? And the the calls are coming from inside the house. Yeah, that's a that's a fairly yeah. popular uh, urban legend. So, despite our fears that we might not have enough uh, to talk about since 1979 was so sparse on... Yeah, we've uh, still got two left that we're going to have to go through, but yeah. I know. And I was going to say, we only, about, we only got... Yeah, my last one on got, when a stranger calls is, I think I started with the bar too fucking high. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm like... Man, all films are going. All horror films are going to be that good. <laughs> Talk about heartbreak. <laughs> and this next one has one of the greatest fucking taglines ever for the U.S. cut, which was called "Doctor Butcher M.D." And I'm oh, amazed yeah. any comedian hasn't stole this. He's a deranged, blood-sucking, psychopathic necrophile. Who tells jokes? <laughs> but the thing is, is like he's a deranged, murdering, psychopathic necrophile. Who makes house calls? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? And this movie isn't I mean, that good, but it's one of the most insane mixes because you got start out as a cannibal movie. And then, like, yep. what the fuck? Zombies? Yeah. I I have a copy of that on uh, on DVD, and uh, I I bought it. I, I don't think I had ever seen it before. I just bought it. I was at the, you know, at the store one day. I looked at it. I read the back, and I was like, yeah, this seems like it should be pretty interesting, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm – I'm a sleaze merchant. Well, I don't know if I'm a merchant. I don't sell my sleaze, but I buy a lot of sleaze. Uh, but yeah, 
that movie that movie is nuts. It is insane. Um, and I have to say, within the first few minutes, it has one of my favorite uh, horrible special effect death scenes ever. When the one of the best the guy dummy deaths. This is the quote: yeah. DummyDeaths.com. Yeah. The guy that started that shit. Dummy deaths yeah. ever. One of the best. And what happens is uh, the killer, killer kills like three people, and then he does something at a hospital. Then he jumps out of a window, and he falls down to the bottom, and the arm just boom breaks off and flies across the floor. I'm sorry. Do you think? Do you think it was? I'm too lazy to film it again. Or who gives a shit? That looks so cool. Let's leave it in there. It's fun. (laughs) <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't know. I I I think it was probably just uh yeah, I think it was probably just a a budget thing. They were like, "Well, we we got to get this in one shot." And that was probably it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For me, I'd be so, like, "Holy shit, man. That looks so cool, <laughs> but it doesn't fit. Who gives a damn?" <laughs> but yeah, so but it at the last third of the movie, I'm sure that you're like, holy shit, this guy was in our next movie. And holy shit, those sets were in our next movie. Did you notice that? (laughs) Right. (laughs) That they used that that same hut. Yeah. And of all of the Dawn of the Dead ripoffs, this one was the most fun those audio ads, and they added to the thing you needed to know about Zombie 2 or Pookie Zombie, but it didn't reveal any of the plot. But it just made you go like, holy shit, I hope the movie's as cool as this. And it was. Yeah, this is hands down. I mean, I don't know, maybe, I, I, I guess I shouldn't say hands down, but yeah, there there there's a tie between this movie and the Beyond for my favorite Fulci films. I mean, yeah, this this movie's got everything for people who really love gore and atmosphere. It, it yeah. It, How old it, did it, you feel? How old did you feel when you seen that uh, computer commercial at the Super Bowl? <laughs> How I felt old that day. I mean, I felt really old. I'm like, you're being one of the most extreme core films of my kid is now in a fucking computer commercial. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, you and know, that's I one think of the coolest funny. scenes of the movie, too. I don't know why they didn't put that in the ads. I would have. Right. Well, I think about this all the time. I think about this all the time. You talk about that, but you know, nowadays we take it for granted that a song comes out, it's on the radio, and the next thing you know, it's in a commercial because there are so many companies that own the rights to, you know, so many different things. So they're like, all right, we're just gonna this song is a big hit. We're going to throw it right into our commercial. We don't have to pay royalties for it because we already own the rights to it. But yeah, 
talking about even you and I, as old as we are, uh, imagine how our parents felt the first time they saw like a Jimi Hendrix song in a car commercial. Cause that, that you know, it, it wasn't like that back then. They, you know, if, yeah. if Chevy wanted to, you know, if Chevy wanted to put a Jimi Hendrix song in a commercial, they had to pay for it, you know, specially, you know, like they yeah. had to specifically pay for that, you know, nowadays it's like the same company that owns Justin Bieber's record contract also owns friggin' Apple computers or whatever. I don't know how it all works, but you know what I mean? Like, you know. Well, nowadays we're at the broke point of life. We're like, God, I wish I had a phone that could be making money off for me still nowadays. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. No, but, but Zombie is, uh, yeah, it is a great film. If you're a, If you're a big fan of gore, yeah, you're going to get your fill. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I I love it. Like I said, uh, I mean, Fulci movies from that era, you're going to get your, your taste of uh, the Beyond, uh, House by the Cemetery. But we're specifically talking about films from 1979 tonight and uh, Zombie, uh, which was known as Zombie 2. Uh, in the UK, which is ironic because we did Zombie talk about King. this. So, yeah. Zombie Flesh we talked, Yeah. We talked about it a little bit last week when we were talking about Dawn of the Dead. This is actually an unofficial sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Um, but if you're a fan... It beautifully that way. Yeah. If you're a fan of Dawn I mean, of really, the Dead... really, can you see this as a prequel to Night of the Living Dead? Right, yeah. I mean, technically, uh, Dr. Butcher could be a prequel to Dawn of the Dead. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> no, no. <you know. laughs> no, zombie. Because it actually shows him showing up in the U.S. <laughs> right? And it looks well, gorgeous too. You you can't. I can't think of a Fulci film that looks like shit. No, no, and that that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where uh, Zombie was filmed, but they definitely got some lush tropical locations there. I mean, they. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they had it was the, filmed they had the, in. The, Remember back then, if they wanted something like that in the Italian film, they would just go there. Like, they actually yeah, right? illegally filmed all the New York scenes in New York. Like, yeah, uh, the that. end scene, it's so iconic. Could you see them doing that nowadays? Sneaking a fucking camera and five guys in zombie fucking makeup. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when and, the Beastie Boys... When the Beastie Boys filmed the filmed the video for Sabotage, they didn't get permits. They just wandered around Los Angeles doing all kinds of crazy shit for a day. So you think I mean, the cops I guess would you... fuck with the Beastie Boys? No. <laughs> and uh, these and the great makeups in it really came from the fact that uh, Gionato De Rossi forgot his makeup kit back in Italy, so he had to use the mud that was there and god the, that look 
that it created. Yeah. It seemed like the mud flaking off the faces. It just looked like fresh. Just. Yep. Yeah. It looked right. The yep. only really complaint, well, Sabinia complained about himself too, is that uh, blood looked too cr- crayonish. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I don't think you see uh, better zombie effects than that, really, until we get to Creep Show. I mean, Creep Show. You know the first story in Creepshow, the Father's Day. That that zombie looks really good when he climbs out of the grave. Yeah. Did Did Savini do the effects for that? Yeah. I, but that has studio so. money in it. Yeah. Right. That's well, another hey. thing I like about Italian exploitation is uh, we're going to go into overtime. It may be about five or so minutes. Is that okay. how renegade the shooting was? Going into overtime, I'm telling the people who are like, what the hell? Don't worry. When it goes up on Apple Podcasts and the other places, the full show will be up there. But, yeah, right. I love how renegade it was. You know, the wild old yeah. days. Right? Right? <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, you think about, like, just – 70s filmmakers in general. I mean, we mentioned him earlier in his capacity as a director, uh, as an actor, but Sam Peckinpah, that guy used to fire actual guns on set just to motivate actors into like, you know, (laughs) so the rumors go. I don't know. I wasn't there, but the story goes. Sam Peckinpah. (laughs) Fact, Sam Fuller. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. He had a big fucking magnum that he would shoot before each scene. He didn't say action. He was like, "Okay, are we ready? <laughs> yeah, yeah." Boom! A little freaky right? on The Exorcist too. He had guns hidden all over the set because after the first time he pulled that shit. <laughs> Yeah. The crew would fucking look for Right? But yeah, 79, like I said, there wasn't as many as we would get in the 80s or right. other years in the 70s. But you could just grab a whole bunch of horror films from 1979 just based on that year. Okay, 1979. Boom, and you would get some good shit. I would yeah. say if I had to pick the best for 1979, it would probably be uh, Zombie 2, Tourist Trap, Thirst, and uh, When a Stranger Calls. Yeah. What would oh, an yeah. Alien? What would you say? Yours? I, yeah, I would. I would definitely. Uh, I would say Alien, Phantasm, uh, When a Stranger Calls. And uh, Zombie would probably be my favorite. Um, uh, yeah, I like I like Amityville Horror a lot. It's very atmospheric and creepy, and James Brolin is really good in it. Um, but I don't know. If you really want I to enjoy Amityville Horror, don't look up the real story behind it, because you'll end up just yeah. being pissed off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but the movie itself is is uh is creepy and and fun, but but yeah, by all accounts, the the whole story is bullshit. So, uh, well, I think the murders were real, right? I mean, there no, is no the stuff. Everything in two was true. Yeah. Well, besides yeah. the possession stuff, but yeah, that was based on the true story. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it, it it almost leads into the, uh, oh, what are those friggin' movies that, I know one of them is the one about, like, recently, the one about Annabelle, the haunted doll, but that's part of a series oh. of movies. What are, yeah, what are, what are those fuck movies? The I've never... family that, fuck the Warren, goddamn con men. Dumbbag mother. Yeah, I've never seen any of those movies. (laughs) I've never seen any of those movies, but I. The movies are fun. But the one real people are fucking scumbags. I kind of get the feeling that that was based on the same con artists who tried to sell the Amityville horror back in the seventies, like, oh no, this house is haunted and we're we're investigating it. I yeah, kinda feel like those did. they actually did. Uh, the Lutz has actually hired the Warren to investigate oh. your house. Oh that so so the Warrens that that those those movies are based on now were actually the people who investigated the Amityville horror? Yeah, remember yeah. they have been for a little bit of Amityville Horror, the two people that go around with the smoke and stuff in the house. Huh. I didn't realize. I mean, yeah. I got the I, I got the vibe from it just from watching the previews, but like I said, I've never seen any of those movies. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is Annabelle, but I know that's part of a series of movies, and I've never seen any of them. It doesn't, yeah. I don't know doesn't really interest me but yeah, all right. yeah i didn't they just, yeah. they just yeah. don't know how i don't know there are some there are some good atmospheric horror movies but uh for my for my taste like i don't know i mean if i want to watch a slasher movie i know what i'm getting you know we've talked about this in the past you know if you pick a specific genre you know what you're getting, you know, all right, I'm going to watch a slasher movie. I know it's going to be mindless fun where a bunch of teenagers smoke pot, drink beer and get killed. Got it. You know, uh, if I want to watch a haunted house movie, that's where I'm looking for atmosphere, you know, uh, with a slasher movie, with a slasher movie, I want some tension, like, you know, but there's not a lot. It's formulaic, you know, as soon as you yeah. see two teenagers having sex and smoking weed, you're like, all right, these two are the next ones to die, you know. Uh, the only tension in a slasher movie comes in the last 15, 20 minutes when there's the final girl who's trying to escape and you don't know where the killer is, you know. But, yeah, and that's like, what it makes house. when a stranger calls uh, really stand out. The final yeah. girl part is really the first of the movie. <laughs> Yeah, right. right. And if you really want to wonder where all the final girl scenes come from, watch When a Stranger Calls, because that is that and Halloween are the best final girl scenes. 
Yeah. And, and let's really bring no, up that when we say final girl scene, we mean the last 20 minutes of the fucking movie. <laughs> right, right. And it, it's not as good as the it's not as good as the first one, but uh, several years later, they made When a Stranger Calls Back, which is it's not as good as the first film, but it talk, what, what we're talking about, it's creepy. It, it's got some, it's got a creep factor to it. It's definitely a creepy film. Yeah. And uh, sadly, Fred yeah. Walton really didn't direct that many movies, which I'm kind of shocked because he had his, he had skills. Yeah, right. Well, and we're gonna be talking happens, about Pluchy because uh, next year in 1982, which there's a Vance well, Vance Warden warning. Yes, we might have a show next week if we can get it recorded on Tuesday because I'm having another endoscope on Wednesday, and after that, my voice is gonna sound like an old. An old black bluesman. If they do this, if they do another procedure, not just look inside my throat and see what's there. Good luck with that. Um, if we don't and get we'll a chance, we'll definitely be back on Halloween week because I found this old tape of mine from this station that I got on the bootleg circuit called the WNUF uh, Halloween Special. We'll probably be watching about that. Yep, that's a good one. I, I'm down for that. And then, uh, are you ready to announce our uh, Halloween night special, or are we gonna are we keeping that under wraps for now? That's gonna be that. Yeah, it's me because it's gonna be me and Tony Strauss. Uh, and yep. hopefully we'll get that recorded. But yeah, the four days of Halloween, I'm gonna do one day of radio ads. Because I got a shit, yep. load of them. And I mean, it's, right. it's one of my discs that I pulled the zombie ad because that one is just, they're great little movies as is. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Especially well, that one right. where you can just mad in your head, you're standing in a room with a bunch <laughs> of people and they're <laughs> dead. Then they slowly start <laughs> to rise. I mean, you can just, Envision that in your head, you know. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, we'll see what happens for uh, for exploitation conflagration next week. But uh, if we don't get to do a show, mm-hmm. then we'll catch up again the week after, and uh, and then you've yeah. got a bunch of shows lined up for the rest of the week. And oh, yeah. uh, I the will. Four days of Halloween is going to start on Wednesday. With yep. the WNUF Halloween special, and then the next day with the radio ad. Then Friday, the day before, with the live reading, which is going to be right. oh, basically oh. standing. Well, we've done it every year, so if you listen to it, it's good because telling scary stories is fun. Right. And yep. Saturday, well, hopefully, that we can pull, me and Tony pull it off. If not, I'll pull some of them about the just. Saturday, we got a surprise. Someone back that's been missing for the past month, and we're going to be doing something. We're going to be watching cool. uh, Sleepaway Camp, and it's going to be a review of 
Don't Walk in the Snow and the new Friday the 13th box set with them. So, thanks very much. Good night, everybody. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, Another one in the bag. So uh, we'll catch up with you uh, hopefully next week, unless Stephen loses his voice. But uh, if not, then we'll see you the week after. So, all right. Don't worry. There's always more to come. Exactly. All right. I'll talk to you later.